Well, good morning, Frontline Church. It's a privilege for me to be online again with you today. I pray that you're all doing well and that you've had a good week so far. I want to welcome everyone that is watching from the south of Johannesburg, those that are watching throughout Gateng, right throughout the country, and even to those that are watching at different locations around the world. Our online community is really growing, and it's our privilege to have you join us as part of the Frontline family. And even when church resumes, we will continue to broadcast our services live every Sunday so that we can remain connected with our online community. And if you're watching from your cell phone or your iPad this morning, just send us a message on this broadcast, either on Facebook or YouTube, and just let us know where you're watching from. Would you do that? Just go to the comments section and post your name and the town or the country in which you live. It'll be really good to hear from you. So wherever you're watching from today, we want to welcome you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray that you will experience Him in a way today that will change you forever. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you today and submit our lives to you in the wonderful name of Jesus. As we contemplate the magnificence of your glory today, as we go through this word Give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear the truth that will allow us to fully comprehend what it means for us as the children of God to live lives that bring glory to your grace over this world and what that means for us individually and as a body. Lord, let us not take your word for granted today, but let your word search out every dark area of our lives and refine us and purify us so that we can be the light in every dark situation and advance your kingdom mission in this world. Come and have your way in us today, we pray. And I ask this all in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. So church, it's really good to be with you this morning, and I'm looking forward to sharing this word with you. And today I want to continue on the topic that I started two weeks back called, Take Back Your Mind. It was a message where I spoke about taking back your mind from wrong thinking and demonic forces. It was a message that really impacted me as I was preparing it. And I actually said to Pastor Renal at the time that, you know, this type of message, this topic is too deep for just one sermon, just for, for one Sunday. And after I had delivered the message and getting feedback from some of our elders, it was again confirmed that this topic in its entirety requires for us to look at the different aspects of our body, our soul, and spirit, and why it is important that they work in unity for the glory of God. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go a bit deeper into this very important topic. So just by way of recap very briefly, church, in part one of the series, we looked at how our thoughts are seeds. Right? Our thoughts are seeds and they reproduce after their own kind. It's the kingdom law of reproduction. And because of this law, we must live every moment as we desire our future to be. Our minds are open to and vulnerable to the spiritual realm. And there is a battle for the programming of our minds because whatever has that has you. It takes control of you. So it's up to us to take it back. It's up to us to be spiritually minded so that our spirits can be one with God. And I suggested two defenses 
that we should apply as we start to take back our minds. And they are the power to say no. That's our first defense. God has given you the incredible ability and the power and power to say no to something and, and stop it in its tracks. Right? You have the authority in Jesus' name to say no. And the second defense, church, is the ability that we have to filter all our thought life through the Word of God. And there was a specific scripture that we used in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 to use as this filter. Can you remember what it says? It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And you see, church, it's going to require discipline from us as we take back our minds and bring our, our thought life, our thinking in line with God's thinking. Because we have the power to create with our thoughts. Good outcomes or, or not so good outcomes. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's up to us to take it back, right? So part one of the message was really about our thinking, our thought life, the intellectual part of our being so that we can bring that into alignment with God's seed, His Spirit that He gave to us when we were born again. Because as I said last time, God wants our entire being to be sanctified. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're going to go a bit deeper, as I said, and we're going to explore this topic further. It's very important that we understand this for our Christian journey. And I want to start off by reading you a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 to 24. And it says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, the King James Version says, whatever you desire, Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And church, I just want you to think about the significance of that for a moment. You see, desire is a very strong emotion. It is a very, very strong emotion. And when it comes into contact with our thoughts, it brings forth conception. And I want to just take this a little further and, and just look at this. As I said last time, the way that God has created us, He's given us a body, a soul, and a spirit, right? And your soul is made up of three primary parts. It's made up of the mind, the emotions, and the will. And all three are necessary in this process of sanctification, this process of transformation. The thought life, which is the mind, the desire, which is the emotion, and the will, which is the choice. Now, church, thoughts are just thoughts, right? 
until they connect with emotion. When your thoughts connect with desire or feeling, a power is released. This is something that we need to understand. When your thoughts connect with your emotions, your feelings or strong desire, when they connect, they become a power and a life. It's the power of union. It's a spiritual principle. You know, fear is a good example of this. Fear isn't first an emotion, right? It begins first as a thought. You know, you're lying in bed one night and you hear a noise and you think to yourself, what's that noise? That's fine until it connects with what? Until it connects with your emotions. And then you've got a problem, right? Because what in reality is just your washing machine making a noise or the cat digging in your rubbish now becomes a burglar that's entering into your home or someone that's breaking into your house. And this is the principle. Once your thought connects with feeling, it becomes real. It becomes a a power. The seed is planted and then conception takes place. And even though that thought may be a false thought, once it connects with your emotion, it is conceived in your mind and little by little, by little it becomes real. You know, for some of us, we believe that emotions are not important. Especially as men, right? We don't want to be all soft and emotional and and sensitive. But emotions are very important. Emotions are the creative side of you. Emotions are essential for things to happen. Why? Because you have to feel what you do. You've got to feel it. When strong feeling connects with your thinking, a seed is planted and a power is released. It's the principle of thought and conception. In James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, James explains this process. And he says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. When desire is conceived... The Greek word therefore conceived is the word silambano, which means to seize upon, to take hold together, to be unified, to conceive. So church, when mind and emotion come together, when thought and strong feeling come together, conception takes place, right? There's a union that takes place and then it will bring forth something in your life. And those words there bring forth in the scripture is a Greek word which means to bring forth a plant from a seed. That's literally what it means. To give birth to something that has been planted. You see, there's a process here. Lust is a thought and when it connects with emotion, conception takes place. And the end result in this case is death. And that's where the choice comes in. You know, what are we going to conceive? Are we going to conceive good things and godly things? Or are we going to conceive bad things and things of of darkness? We have a choice. This is extremely important for us to understand. You know, it is said that our emotions, those things that you remember the clearest in your life, are the things that you really experience and the things that you really feel. You know? If people talk to you but it doesn't touch you, it doesn't really mean that much to you. How many of you men out there know that when you're talking to your wife and you're not really listening, you're not going to feel it? 
and you're not going to, you're going to completely forget about it, right? You're going to completely forget about it. Because just for those few moments, I know it doesn't happen often, because just for those few moments when you lost concentration, your heart wasn't in it and you don't remember a thing. It's the strangest thing. I don't know how this, this happens to us. Men, I don't know. I'm convinced that the nothing box cuts out the heart, right? You see, we've got a way out there. <laughs> you see, church, if your heart's not in it, then it does not go to the stage of conception. Psychologists tell us that you remember the things that interest you and the things that touch your emotions. Then it is written into your heart, written into your mind, and it becomes a vivid part of your memory. When thoughts contact your emotions, a power is released in the spirit. It's released in the spirit realm. Whether it's anger, love, faith, disappointment, or fear, once the seed is planted, it will reproduce after its own kind. And church, the reason why I'm harping on this, the reason why I'm really trying to expand on this is because it's really important for us to know how we birth things in our minds and, and how the enemy works. Because just as we've allowed the enemy to birth fear and anger and perhaps even hatred in our hearts, we have the God-given ability to reprogram our minds to birth faith and hope and, and love. Right? And all these other characteristics, or should I say, fruit that God wants from us. Because church, listen, we are either taking back our minds and renewing our minds and transforming our minds to come into alignment with God's will for our lives, or we just carry on allowing the natural man with the natural thinking and the natural ways to spill over into our lives, into our relationships and into our circumstances. Because you see, church, 95% of your life is spillover of what's inside of you, right? Because most of what comes out of you isn't premeditated. It's already in there. And that's going to require deep transformation, church. It's going to require deep transformation on the worship of our minds. And that's where we're going to go with the rest of the message today. We're going to talk about transformation. We are going to talk about renewal. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Church, we are perfectly useless as Christ-exalted Christians if all we do is conform to this world. And the key Paul says here in this verse to not wasting our lives is a renewed mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So our goal is transformation. Our goal is transformation and that becomes the worship of verse 1. That's how we worship God. By transforming what is inherently already inside of us. That's our reasonable response to God giving us His Spirit. It's to renew our minds. Now, 
very interestingly, the word transformation that's found here in this text is not just translated transformation. It's also translated transfiguration. The Greek word metamorphu is a word that means to change, to transform, or to transfigure. And one of the only other places in Scripture where this word is used is in Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And it says, Where Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. That word transfigured is the very word found in Romans 12 2. Metamorphu. Be transformed, be transfigured in the renewing of your mind. And church, the reason I draw out this amazing parallel in Scripture is to stress this. Is to stress that transformation is something remarkable. Transformation is something profound. Transformation is something glorious. And it's important to know that transformation is not the replacement of a list of, of bad behaviors with an external list of new, better behaviors so that you can call yourself transformed. That's not what he's talking about here. It says it, it is, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as, as white as light. You see, something spiritual like that has to happen from the inside out. Some profound change, some new shining, and then God saves us later in stages. Later outside, it will happen to us at the resurrection. Because Jesus says, the righteous will, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of, of their father. So Jesus presented himself as transfigured as a kind of foretaste of what would happen to us at the resurrection and what he would look like at his second coming but now we begin this transformation now we begin that transfiguration internally morally mentally and spiritually and so church transformation does not mean switching from the to-do list of the flesh to the to-do list of my moral effort when Jesus rejected the works of the flesh when he was on the earth, he didn't replace it with the list of the Spirit, but with the fruit of the Spirit, right? From the works of the flesh and the works of the Lord to the fruit of the Spirit. Not a new list of moral behaviors to replace a list of immoral behaviors, but a new power. A new power from the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So church, transformation is a very profound inner alteration, a Spirit-created, blood-bought work of God. Which is why the Christian life, despite the fact that it is utterly submitted, and even as the Bible says, enslaved to God and enslaved to righteousness, in spite of those two words, submitted and enslaved, the Christian life is called freedom. It is called freedom. 
Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Or 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is a spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So church, the reason the Christian life is freedom, the reason transformation is a transformation from bondage into freedom, here's the reason. And I really want you to take a hold of this today. Freedom is doing what you love to do if what you love to do is what you should do. Let me say that again. Freedom is doing what you love to do if what you love to do is what you should do. And transformation is the change in a heart so that what you love to do is what you should do. You see, the freest people in all of the world are the people that do exactly what they love to do and don't suffer for it in hell in eternity. But rise with Jesus to ever-increasing joy. And that happens through a transformation. So that what we love to do is what we should do, right? And we fall out of love with the things of the world that we shouldn't be doing but still very much love to do before we become transformed. And church, the Christian life is one long process of crucifying those old desires and experiencing by the power of the Holy Spirit the awakening of new passions and new desires. Why? So that, for example, I can stand in front of you today and say with all my heart that there is no place on planet earth that I would rather be than standing in front of this pulpit preaching this beautiful gospel to you. Which would not have been the case even five years ago in my life. God changes. God transforms church. And if you long to break loose from conformity to this world, if you long to be transformed from the, the inside out, if you long to be free from duty-driven Christianity and to do what you love to do because it's what you should do, if you long to offer up your body as a living sacrifice so that your whole life becomes worship and displays the glory of Jesus, rather than just displaying selfishness and living for me, which you know in the deepest, darkest moments of your life is a horrible way to live, if you want that kind of freedom, church, then pursue with all your will, with all your might, the renewal of your mind. Because Paul says that's the way that you are transformed. Be transformed in or by the renewal of your mind. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans 12, says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, he says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you, you may be thinking, what in the world is that phrase, the spirit of your mind? It's a strange phrase. What does it mean to be renewed in the spirit of your mind? Well, church, in my limited understanding and my finite mind, I can explain it like this. It means at least this. It means that your spirit has a mind. And it inherently or naturally 
has a demeanor or a viewpoint or a mindset that is hostile to God. That's what Paul means when he says be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see the mind's problem. The problem with Ryan de Klaag's mind is not simply that it is finite and restricted and it needs more information to deliver up accurate perceptions to my heart. The mind is already a problem before it delivers anything to the heart. Right? It's got a mindset. It's got a demeanor. And we know what it is. It is hostile. The natural mind is hostile to God. Hostile to His absolute supremacy. Hostile to His absolute authority. And even hostile to His infinite beauty. Because His absoluteness competes with my absoluteness over my life. Right? I want to I like what I see best in the mirror. I want to like what I do and say better than what God says and, and what God does. Right? I want to make my own choices in life. My natural mind has a demeanor. It has a, a viewpoint. It has a mindset away from God. It is hostile to God and embraces alternative things. And when it eventually gets to that degree, that's what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Church, you see, the mind considered this the possibility that God might be righteous, God might be glorious, God might be authoritative, God might be good, God might have absolute rights over me, and they rose up in the natural mind no, I will not live that way. I want to make my own choices in life. No one must, must tell me how to live my life. And then what happens, church, is we exchange the glory of an immortal God with the glory of man and worldly idols, and we basically just hand our minds over to the enemy. We get a debased mind. Church, taking back our minds or the renewal of our minds is really just about putting our gaze on Jesus and giving glory where we're supposed to, to give glory. And so we have to start preparing our minds for transformation. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. He says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lusts as in your ignorance. And get this, church, the implication here from this verse is if you could reverse the ignorance, if you could turn around the blindness and the deadness and the emptiness and the ignorance in your mind, and you could see God for who He really is. The bondage that you presently have to passions that are, are taking you in wrong directions would be broken. It would be destroyed. Right? That's why Paul says be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Because it was former ignorance that left us in the grip of passions that made us do stuff that we knew we shouldn't be doing anyway. So Peter analyzes it by saying, in your former ignorance, you were in bondage to passions. 
Now, don't be conformed to those things because that's former ignorance. There's one more thing I want to show you here. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. And you might expect him to stop right there because he's speaking about all the problems with the mind, but then he closes with this devastating root problem. And he says, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So beneath the mind and all of its futility and all of its darkness and, and all of its ignorance, there's another problem. Namely, a hard heart. An impenitent heart, and that's our deepest disease. The mind suppresses the truth because the heart continues to feed it with hardness. And listen to this church, it won't let us submit to the supremacy of Christ. That's what the hard heart does. So you may be asking this morning, what is the remedy here? What is the remedy to the problem of the mind and the heart? Be transformed in the renewal of your mind. How's that going to happen? Church, the only way this is going to happen is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it's going to happen. And the reason I emphasize the Holy Spirit, even though the Holy Spirit is not mentioned in Romans 12, 2, is because in Titus 3, 5, the word renewal is also used there. And it's the only place in the Bible that it occurs outside of Romans 12, 2. And it says, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, right? Not because of a, of a list of things to do but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit so if you ask how does that renewal happen how does the mind of the Spirit get altered so that I'm not in rebellion anymore and I'm not finding more pleasure in me but I'm finding more pleasure in God the answer church is the Holy Spirit comes and does a double work he does a double work and to set you up for what I want to explain here, I want you to have a quick look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And this is probably the most important verse I'll quote outside of our main text today. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Church, we're starting to get to the crux of the message now. The key to a transformed mind is the steady gaze at the glory of Jesus Christ. Now for this to happen, we need a double work from the Holy Spirit. Let me explain what I mean and, and just show you how we can join Him in this work. So we need the Holy Spirit to work from the outside in by putting before us Christ-exalting truth in the gospel. And we need the Holy Spirit to work from the inside out by humbling our hard hearts. Both has to happen. 
And our great enemy, the devil, does not want that to happen in our lives. Because it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Church, the devil fears one thing more than anything else. And you know what that is? You've seen the glory of Christ. You've seen Christ for, for who He really is. Seeing Christ for who He really is. Seeing with the eyes of your heart. Seeing with the spirit of, of the mind. Seeing Him for who He really is and embracing that truth. Embracing Him. The devil fears that more than anything. Because Paul says that's the way that we get transformed. That's the way that our minds are altered by gazing at the glory of Jesus Christ with an unveiled face. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit has to work is He must present us with the gospel. He must put Jesus Christ in the truth, in a book, in a sermon, on the radio, on the television, in the mouth of a trusted friend. He must put Jesus Christ before you so that you can have an objective exposure to His glory. Which does no good at all, let me tell you, unless He does the second work. Namely, He moves inside and demolishes that hard heart and takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh and makes us have a truth embracing humility. It's beautiful. It's glorious. So let me just sum it up for you this morning as I close. As you pray for the Holy Spirit to work in you, ask that externally He would constantly lead you to Christ-exalting truth. And that internally He would lead you to truth embracing humility. Christ-exalting truth must come from the outside and truth-embracing humility must rise up on the inside. And church, when those two works of the Holy Spirit happen, worship happens. True worship happens. Worship in, in spirit and in truth. Because of the transformed mind, because of the renewed mind. So I ask finally today, what should you do to take back your mind and have a renewed mind? And the answer is pursue with the Holy Spirit. Pursue Christ-exalting truth. Listen to rich messages about the glories of Jesus Christ. Whatever it takes, find them, listen to them, read about them. Read your Bible from cover to cover on the lookout for the perfections and the glories and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And then finally, pray, pray, pray and pray that the Holy Spirit would renew your mind by shattering the heart of hardness, by giving you a truth, embracing humility and openness and teachability and a whole new mindset. So that this truth which you are now reading, you're now hearing, meditating and pondering will be seen for what it is so that you will see Jesus Christ for who he really is. And then will come true, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image as Christ from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we just want to thank you for your life-changing word. And we want to ask that you would shatter hard hearts. Hearts that don't want to submit. Hearts that, that, that don't want to see you as the most beautiful, the most glorious, and the most satisfying treasure in all of the universe. We pray that you would alter all our passions and all our emotions and, and turn our lives upside down. I pray that our response to your glory would change today and that we would fix our gaze on you and only you. And for those who have already embraced you, Father, as their treasure and all that you offer them in Jesus, would you just take them another step farther in having the renewed mind of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you're listening to this today, and you're not a Christian, but you want to make a commitment to follow this life-changing God that I've been speaking about, I'd like to give you the opportunity to commit your life to Jesus this morning. If that's you, I want you to repeat the following prayer after me. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I acknowledge to you that I am a sinner, and I am sorry for my sins and the life that I have lived. I need your forgiveness. I believe that your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, shed His precious blood on the cross at Calvary and died for my sins. And I am now willing to turn from my sin. You said in the Bible that if we confess the Lord our God, and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, we shall be saved. So right now, I confess Jesus as my Lord. With all my heart, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And this very moment, I accept Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior. And according to His word, Right now, I am saved. And from today, I declare that my life now belongs to you. I am now your son or your daughter. And I am privileged to call you my father. I open my heart to receive your love and all that you have for me. I receive the Holy Spirit of God to lead me, to guide me, and teach me all the days of my life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. And if you made that commitment this morning, we just want to celebrate with you. The whole of heaven is celebrating with us today. We just want to really commend you for making that decision. Well, church, it's been so good to be with you this morning. I hope that you have a blessed day further. We really miss our frontline family, and we hope to connect again with you soon. Love and miss you very much. Bless you.